0: Hey now, we are Getting Over and I am the Silver King, Adam Silverstein, here to lead you through these hard times That with our third episode in the last four days ending one of the most unique weeks in the history of professional wrestling. But unlike the last three episodes of Getting Over, we're not here to talk about WrestleMania 36 today, but rather the latest and greatest in the Wednesday night wars between AEW and NXT. And honestly, despite us getting the final beat, uh, the last beat between Johnny Gargano and Tommaso Ciampa in the main event of NXT, Wednesday night, in my opinion, left a lot to be desired. Before we get into that, a reminder to follow us on Twitter at GettingOverCast. Also, if you are listening for the first time, go hit that subscribe button wherever you listen to podcasts and head on over to Apple Podcasts. Drop us a five-star rating and review. Your reviews and ratings matter more than you know, and we could really use them because, as you know, it is all about the 5 Okay, on to today's show. The Silver King is writing solo today, and I'm not only going to break down NXT and AEW, but we're going to go deep with a lot of fan questions coming out of Wednesday night's shows. I also did think about dipping my toe a little bit into the waters that are MTV's The Challenge, Total Madness. I'm not going to do that today. But let me know on Twitter, again, at Getting Overcast or at Silverstein Adam, my personal account, whether you want some of that injected into these Wednesday shows, at least while this coronavirus pandemic is going on. Um, I'll do it in the Getting Overtime section if you guys are interested, maybe one or two takeaways each week. I don't know how many people actually watch The Challenge, but it is one of the few quote unquote sports uh, that's going on right now, and certainly I am a longtime viewer of that show. But okay, getting into the show, the main event today—you guys know—Johnny Gargano, Tommaso Ciampa, the final beat, the last beat, um, the the final match between the Black Heart and the Rebel Heart. And I have seen plenty of divisive opinions over this match, and I get it. Uh, this was an expectation versus reality scenario based on what you as a viewer anticipated going into their fifth match. And I, for one, thought NXT delivered to expectation. My expectation was not that we were going to see an in-ring wrestling masterpiece. I thought they laid it out pretty well, uh, you know, with Triple H, Gargano, and Champa in the ring explaining what we were gonna get in that match. And as such, I thought they delivered it. This was the final match of a massive multi-year rivalry that has been derailed in real life at every attempt to conclude it, either due to injury, storyline changes, and now a global pandemic that forced the cancellation of NXT TakeOver Tampa and had this match on a normal Wednesday night television show. Uh, NXT really couldn't have put it off any longer. They had to make the best kind of a bad situation that they were handed, and they decided to tell a story rather than deliver a five-star match, which we have seen from these guys already. So for a fifth match, culminating an all-time rivalry, you know, this is one of the greatest of all time. A lot of you probably wanted something closer to Okada Omega 4, but this was never going to be that. This was no longer a technical wrestling battle like Okada Omega was. This is a blood feud, and it had to be ended. And I think that's what we were told we were gonna get, and it's ultimately what we did get Wednesday night on NXT. Plus, let's realize we've already seen these two guys battle it out in the ring with incredible action, storytelling, false finishes, etc. They've had different types of stipulation matches between each other. What else could they have done in a normal wrestling format, particularly one without fans on TV, not at an NXT TakeOver event? Now, if you wanna argue with me that this should have been on WrestleMania, that's an argument i'll accept because i do believe that this should have been a wrestlemania match but outside of that if you're going to have it on a wednesday tv show you're going to call it a takeover match this is basically what they told us they were going to give us and i think they delivered to that end so what did we ultimately get uh we got a heavy detailed smart emotional story not only with gargano and champa but with the referee drake wartz and candice Lorray, the two other people who have played a part in this story. Okay, so what about the storyline, right? The storyline of the match. I thought it was great. First, you know, from a kayfabe standpoint, going into this match, I'm fully on Johnny's side as a wrestling fan, as someone who is watching this match unfold. And I see him, and I have seen him, in this role since his quote-unquote turn, far more as an anti-hero than a heel. This all started, let's not forget, with his best friend turning on him. And basically anything Johnny did from that point going forward in his eyes and in my eyes was justified. And what Johnny did when he saw the guy that turned on him and tried to ruin his career come back from knee and neck surgeries to hero's welcomes from the fans is Johnny decided to get smart and get even. And that included him fooling Champa into believing that he had turned dark during the time when he won the North American Championship, and again fooling him into reforming DIY to take on Mustache Mountain. And once more, when he made Champa think that he was going to be running to his aid to even the score against Undisputed Era, instead he grabs the NXT title and hits Champa with it. So Gargano is returning the screw job that Champa handed him tenfold. And Ciampa Despite claiming to be a black heart, he's soft. He's emotional. Gargano saw that play out, and he took advantage of it one last time. You saw the end of the match, grabbing Champ's hand, getting emotional, seeming like the end of this rivalry might be these guys not finishing, stopping fighting, understanding that they've each taken the other to their limits. And just as we think that is what's going to happen, they give us a swerve. Candace comes out, sweet Candace, whose good guy, Marvel-loving husband, has turned from the Spider-Man that she married into the Venom that she seemingly wants to divorce. And all of this has happened because of Tommaso Ciampa. Johnny's not the same guy she married. She can't take it anymore. She just wants it to be over. And the only way she can see it ending. Is Champa taking care of it? Champa ending it. And it looks like she's there to mend the fence one more time. She's standing between them, holding both of their hands up. But instead, it's Candace who kicks Johnny in the balls. And Champa believes it because he's emotional and he's gullible. And Johnny's his friend. Johnny is Champa's weakness. And Johnny knew this. Candace is his freaking wife, not his girlfriend. And Champa who was a groomsman in their damn wedding, somehow doesn't realize this. He thinks his bond with Johnny is stronger than Johnny's bond with his wife. But he again forgets that he's the one who broke the bond with Johnny Gargano. This is all Champa's fault. And he's blind to it. Just as he always was. Just as he always has been in the lead up to this. Johnny recognized that. Candace recognized that. And they used it. Candace comes back. Kicks Champa in the balls. He's the one who deserved it anyway for basically ruining her husband. Johnny pulls the cup out of his tights, for lack of a better term. And Johnny ends the feud, finally, with the fairy tale ending. Champa's move. One last FU. One last screw job. One time using Champa's emotions against him. All of it completely deserved and justified in their eyes. And my eyes as a viewer, because of what Champa started. Champa was always the heel, even if you, the viewer, didn't see it. And as far as being a viewer, they swerved me. I thought we were going to get a double turn with Johnny going back face and winning instead. And you can call it a heel turn if you want. But Candice got so much more needed personality and edge that she has not had. The storyline put her over just as much as it did Gargano or Champa. And I know some people will sit here thinking, Sure, that's true, Adam, but she's still Gargano's wife in this whole thing. And she's always been Gargano's wife during her time in NXT. That is accurate. But that's not the worst thing, especially if it goes where we think it's going to go. But just when we think everything's over and there's no more surprises to be had, we get the incredible cameos of Killer Cross and Scarlett Bordeaux in the car as Johnny Gargano and Candice LeRae are limping to their own vehicle. And it should be noted, by the way, that the car scene, the parking lot scene, it is not separate from the rest of what happened. Because NXT told us the ending of the match before it ever began, with Candice dropping off Johnny. Then they wanted you, they wanted us, to forget that she knew the location over the course of this 40-minute match. I love that. So smart. So did they give us a five-star wrestling classic? No. Did they present this match in the best possible way? Probably not. From a storytelling perspective, from the end of a storyline and a feud that can never end and has been unable to end the way they have planned it to, did they do that justice? I think I just told you over six minutes or so that they absolutely did. So... Coming out of it, what side do I stand on? Was I disappointed? You know, there's some disappointment. But did it hit my expectations? Did NXT, Gargano, and Champa deliver something? Call it a match, call it a fight. On NXT Wednesday night, did they deliver something that satisfied the end of the feud and the rivalry? They did. They figured out a way. For Johnny, the quote-unquote bad guy, again, who for me is an anti-hero, for Johnny the anti-hero to come out on top as he needed to in this feud, win the all-time feud three to two match-wise, get the biggest win probably he's had in this feud, and develop character for both Johnny, Tommaso, and then you can throw in Candice LeRae as well. For me, that's called a success. That's called entertainment, that's called professional wrestling. Okay, Tristan Attiliano at Attiliano underscore Tristan, do you think Champa versus Gargano one final beat needed the cinematic production or could they have pulled off something just as exciting if it had been filmed like a regular match? I'm gonna agree with you there, it didn't need it. There were far too many camera cuts and the production took me out of it. What really took me out more was the commercial breaks. There have been plenty of times over the course of history of WWE on TV, that they've done commercial free matches, segments or extended portions of the show. I have no idea why they didn't do that here. Even if you didn't wanna make it completely commercial free, they could have done one or two commercials at the beginning and then given us the final 20 minutes commercial free. We deserve that as fans watching that product, watching this feud and storyline that we have been waiting for the climax forever. So, you know, I'm going to watch it on the network. I'm going to make the assumption that it's going to be better watching it on the WWE network, You know, however many minutes, 25, 30, uninterrupted. I think that will play better than it did on television. And I don't necessarily think it's their fault. They have to operate in certain restrictions with USA Network, and I don't know what those were. Maybe they did request it and USA balked at it. I don't know. Um, was this the best possible presentation of the final match, of this feud, no, it wasn't. That doesn't mean it was bad, and it doesn't mean that you need to sit here and, and say, "Oh my God, you know, I wanted a five star classic and I got a fight." Yes, yeah, some, sometimes that that's, that happens. And by the way, they told us, Triple H told us, Gargano and Champa told us in that go home segment a couple of weeks ago. They told us what this match was going to be, and that's what they gave us. So they delivered on their promise, and I accept that completely. Atish, uh, Tawari at Atish911, where does Tommaso Ciampa go from here? That is a great question, and I don't know that I have an immediate answer. Maybe he takes a long break. Uh, We assume that Killer Cross when he debuts, is for Gargana, but maybe it's actually Ciampa, considering he's still more of a classic face, I guess, out of the two. Ciampa, though, don't forget, still wants the NXT title. If Cole does retain when he eventually faces Velveteen Dream... That would make sense because he, you know, Champa got "quote unquote" screwed out of it the first time by Gargano, or even if Dream wins, Champa already beat him once. Dream can bounce back and forth between face and heel pretty easily. Champa did have a title defense against Dream, it would make sense he would want to challenge for that title. So maybe he's in the main event picture. Maybe he takes some time off. I'm not exactly sure what they're going to do with Champa. Uh, I know that he has mentioned that he may not wrestle for that much longer. There's a chance, I could definitely see it, where he potentially goes to Raw or SmackDown. Not necessarily to be a full-time competitor, but maybe he wrestles, uh, maybe he works as a producer. There's a lot of things that Champa can do. I don't exactly know what direction they're going to go with him, Um, but if he stays in NXT, then they're really going to need to figure out, storyline-wise, how to make things make sense with him right now, because... It's tough to know where he goes from here. And it's tough to know where Gargano Ger- Ger- goes from here, too. I mean, the killer cross thing does make sense. We'll talk about that in getting overtime. Um, I, there's a lot of questions you guys asked about cross. So we're going to talk about that at the end of the show. But even Gargano, it's like, well, does he get back in the title picture at some point? Do you forget that for a year? What do you do with them? So I'm going to be curious to see how NXT books all of this going forward. Moving on, finishing up NXT on Wednesday night. The number one contendership ladder match, it was just a disappointment for me. I'm not going to get too worked up over it. I think it would have been far better in front of a crowd. Um, Fans and their reaction often make ladder matches better than they are, or at least they they sell the moments a lot bigger. You know, you remember the reaction sometimes just as much as the moves themselves. I thought the women all worked hard. I just didn't feel the cohesion. Having a manager and muscle in Rachel Gonzalez at ringside, um... Rob Stone, I guess, and Rachel Gonzalez at ringside. It was just too much interference for me. I know that's part of it. Uh, you know, the Stone stuff felt like James Ellsworth helping Carmella. You know, you know it's kind of eh, it's eye rolling. Io Shirai won, and I thought that was an interesting choice because she's clearly the best of the bunch in that ring, and she's a future probably should have already been NXT Women's Champion. You know, the question did come in from Sean McDermott at I'm bored, brother. Who is the eventual person to take the title off Charlotte? If it isn't Rhea, or will it be Rhea finally taking her down? That's a great question. So you have Io Shirai now as the number one contender, and I don't want to see her go into a match with Charlotte and lose. That's the last thing I want, honestly. So I'd like my answer to be Io Shirai is going to beat Charlotte. And maybe that sets up an Io Shirai-Rhea Ripley match down the line, and then eventually when Ripley gets to the main roster, primary roster, she gets to fight Charlotte in a rematch for a title at some point down the line. But if I had to guess, it would be Rhea eventually getting another opportunity, beating Charlotte. Charlotte did a good job, hopefully not so much elevating the title, but adding some star presence to NXT. Rhea gets a win over a legend. It enhances her profile even more. But again, if you're going to do that, if Rhea is going to be eventually the one to beat Flair, then I don't know why you make Shirai the number one contender, only for her to lose to Flair that they, they could have put it on Chelsea, um, Mia Yim, and really any of the other women in the match could have been given that opportunity and wouldn't get hurt nearly as much. Io Shirai, she might have a great match with Flair. In fact, forget might, she will have a great match with Flair. But if you don't have a win, that's just another time that Shirai's failed. She's already failed against Biesler. You know, she got injured. She was out for a long period of time. Now she fights Flair, loses the title. I don't know that I would have made that booking. So... All right, moving on to AEW, you know, straight up, this episode of Dynamite, I didn't really like it. Um, I think most weeks I find significant positives, and there are some, don't get me wrong. But for the most part, this episode, I don't know if it's because it went head-to-head with Gargano Champa, or just this was in their rotation of taped shows, what they have, or maybe their taped shows going this far in advance, they're not going to be very good. But I did not find it... uh, Overly entertaining. The Cody Sean Spears match was definitely an exception to that. I did find it entertaining, but for there to be that much violence and weapon use in a regulation match in the championship tournament, that doesn't make much sense to me. They didn't even explain it. I know the referees have the ability to be lax on the rules, but it felt way overdone and a little ridiculous. And why is Sean Spears, Sean Spears, Kicking out of two crossroads. I mean, you want to talk about not protecting finishers. Spears kicking out of two crossroads is not protecting a finisher. Uh, Hikaru Shida versus Britt Baker. That was my probably second favorite AEW women's match to date, which is a great trajectory for them. She does really good. Um, I don't think that's a unique take. People really seem to like her. I like that she's already the number one contender. Because of that, I probably would have had Baker win this match because the rankings and standings and the contenderships don't necessarily go by who beat who last. It's a relation of wins and losses. It's their records. So I would have been nice really to get Baker a win that she badly needs over a legitimate really good woman's wrestler instead you ever lose again. Now, the color that Baker got in the match was great and it was real. That's happened to my nose before where I and I didn't even break my nose, but I like ran it into a wall once um, and just blood started flowing out of it. I, I was, I think, 20 at the time. I ran scared shitless into the bathroom to kind of stop it, do whatever I could. When it happened to me, she looked at it and, like, laughed, handled it great, and made it a marker of the entire show. That's only going to help her long term. Uh, so that was just totally badass on Britt Baker's part, and I thought it was one of the best moments of the entire show, honestly. As for the rest of the show... There's not going to be a lot of positives here. Uh, Jake Roberts can cut a great promo. We know. It didn't really move the needle for me. Lance Archer beating up jobbers is just not something I need. It's enough. I know that they were doing it to get him on TV. He's going to be in this TNT tournament. But it just, I don't know. Something about it just doesn't, it seems unnecessary to me when you have a roster with that many people as they do. You could put him up against Kip Sabian. Or, you know, someone let him just win a match against someone good and deliver a good match on TV. Instead, it was just a pure squash. And Jake wasn't even there with him for obvious reasons due to corona. Uh, The best friends match, it was comedy. I I didn't get that totally. And I know that time needs to get filled on the show. But I thought the segment in the trailer was really funny. That was great. The match was crap. I didn't care about it. Michael Nakazawa, I get it. He's Kenny's best friend and, and the DDT relationship. I don't need Michael Nakazawa wrestling real matches on Dynamite. Uh, You know, I don't think that's an unacceptable opinion to have. I do think AEW is doing a pretty good job with the video packages for Jon Moxley against Jake Hager, but somehow through two weeks of this, I still don't care. Not one iota. I don't like Jake Hager. I don't care about him as a wrestler. There's no chance he's going to beat Moxley, so they can prop him up as much as they want in these and... I just don't buy it as a fan. I don't buy it as a viewer. So I get that he's the number one contender. Uh, I saw the rankings. I guess he did win more matches than I realized last week when I said I didn't know why he was the number one contender, but it's just, it's not for me. Uh, Moxley and Hager is not for me. Sorry. Something else that's not for me is Brody Lee. This stuff has become eye roll inducing at this point. Is he a cult leader, a business executive, a salesman? I don't really know about the segments themselves. His gear was ugly and ridiculous in the ring. And while he's impressive athletically, I mean, I have spoken so many times about how talented I think the former Luke Harper is as a competitor. So he, we know he's talented, but this character is doing absolutely zero for me. 0.0. I don't care about the exalted one, the the, the segments and the stuff, the shots at Vince. I don't care that they're taking shots at Vince, but it's not even good. I just, I don't like it, period. Uh, And you know what? Even Matt Hardy, his promo from the Hardy compound, I don't know why necessarily, but I didn't like it either. It felt really forced to me. The broken universe is great on its own. But him teaming with the Elite just because... And now trying to wage war against an entire faction in the inner circle, it felt strange. It's not hitting me right at all. I do think that the Broken Matt Hardy gimmick and Matt are certainly talented. And I like that they're back on TV. But maybe it's as simple as it is so far removed from its peak of popularity. And I'm not going to buy into what some people say, oh, you know, they watered it down in WWE. I really don't think they watered it down that much. Sure, were there things that weren't as good as it could have been? Yeah, that's fair. But the stuff he did with Bray Wyatt was great. Them tagging together was really good. They certainly allowed him to cut a special and some segments from the Hardy Compound. Those were just as good, if not better, than the stuff he was putting out on TNA. The only thing WWE did is they didn't want to go forward with it. And creatively, if they thought it was played out or they didn't want to do it, I can't necessarily blame them for that. Maybe despite everyone backing Matt Hardy and saying, "Oh, Matt, WWE is keeping you down and they won't listen to any of your ideas and so on and so forth." For all of that talk, and apparently Matt said he he pitched WWE a ton of new ideas and they kept rejecting them. If all of those ideas were centered around the broken gimmick and the broken universe, maybe they weren't that good. Maybe this character is played out. The stuff with Vanguard is great because it's Chris Jericho doing something brand new that we've never seen. That stuff's been great because of Chris Jericho. Even the segment where Jericho and Hardy stood off next to each other, Jericho was great, Hardy wasn't. I love Matt Hardy, I wanna make that very clear. But there's something about this gimmick, his introduction to AEW, and the way that this has been handled, it's just not sitting right with me. It's not hitting me right, I don't feel it. And I'm starting to think, and I'll give it time, I'm not gonna make a final decision here, I'm starting to think maybe the broken universe is played out. I hope they prove me wrong. I do. Because when it isn't played out, it's incredibly entertaining. And I think people that are just defending it because they like Matt are doing it a disservice. And they're not being completely honest. Uh, Cam Schilling at Cam Schilling 88. He writes, Jericho, top five guest color commentator of all time. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, That is one thing I did not mention in the actual breakdown of the show. Chris Jericho on commentary was incredible. And I don't think that's really much of a surprise to anyone. He blended comedy with real commentary. He obviously has a vast knowledge of professional wrestling, both in the ring, history, all of it. And he was able to display all of that on the mic. He's a very clear speaker that there's a reason he has a podcast. Um, He works great no matter who he's talking to. Him and Tony were fantastic. Jericho was able to tell the storylines that were going in each individual match while still being his real self, providing his experience and his character to the segments. It was just a massive home run with Chris Jericho. I don't expect that to happen often, but if I'm WWE and I see that, or even, of course, if I'm AEW and I see that, when Jericho stops being an in-ring performer, I immediately go after him to be on commentary for the shows. I know that he may have fuzzy stuff and want to go on tour and so on, but I figure out a way to get Chris Jericho on commentary. That's how good he was. Nick Johnson at Nick Johnson underscore art. That's N I K Johnson. He's also the guy, by the way, who made our Getting Over logo. Awesome job by him. He said, It seems the TNT Championship tournament is heading towards a showdown between Cody and Lance Archer. Who do you see coming out on top? They have been giving a lot of hype to Lance, so you would think he needs. The big win uh, or his push would be deflated, but Cody has lost a lot of big matches as of late, so he can't really afford a loss either. I think the latter part is key because you can say Cody's your top face, and they're clearly booking him and treating him that way, but he has to win at some point. And considering he can't go after the world title due to the stipulation losing to Chris Jericho, I think you absolutely have to make him the first TNT champion. Lance Archer as the first TNT champion is not memorable whatsoever. If AEW exists for 10 years, no one's going to remember or care that Lance Archer, who by the way, I think is like 43, uh, is the first champion. You know who they're going to remember? Cody Rhodes. Cody Rhodes is the first TNT champion. So um, I I don't necessarily think or know that it's going to come down to those two. I think Darby Allen has a really good chance of being that first champion. But if it's not Darby, then I would book it to be Cody. It makes sense. Give the guy the title. He deserves the title, honestly. I, I hate kind of using that sometimes, that people deserve titles, he does. And in this tournament, he's by far the highest profile person. So it really would not make much sense for me if he didn't get it. But of course, with his long-term friendship slash feud with Darby Allen it would make sense if Darby beat him in those semifinals and went on to the championship. So we'll see how that plays out, but I would give it to Cody. Okay, that is our breakdown of NXT and AEW. We're going to move into getting overtime uh, just two questions. I thought I had more, but I guess I read them throughout the show instead. Shaw McDermott, at I'm bored. Brother is back. He said, "For those of us not familiar with Killer Cross and or Scarlet Bordeaux, whose style or comparison is there to get an idea of what we will see?" It's a really good question. I do suggest going to YouTube and searching for Killer Cross TNA or Impact, uh, whatever it was at the time. Watching some of his matches and segments. He's really unique. He's a big-bodied guy. Um, in great shape, really badass persona, kind of like Steve Austin and Justin Incredible, kind of like those guys. Some of the gimmick of Psycho Sid, the big eyes and, you know, he gets a little crazy. So that's kind of the way I would best equate him. He's talented in the ring. He's not a otherworldly performer by any means, but he's more than capable. I would probably have put him in Scarlet if we were back in the 90s they are ECW. They're ECW main eventers. That's kind of the way I look at them. So really unique type of character and wrestler and couple, honestly, to join NXT. And I think it comes at a time where NXT really does need a little bit of fresh blood in the main event scene. Yes, you can say that there's a lot of people who could get those pushes. Keith Lee, um, you know, Finn Balor, even though he's doing the UK thing right now. There's a lot of people in NXT who need to be elevated to the main event spot. But for so long, we have seen the same people on TV. And NXT, long term, has not been about seeing the same people. One of the reasons NXT was so successful, you know, in its start, not not the reality show crap on TV, but in the the new version of NXT, one of the reasons it was so successful is because people cycled through. So you didn't get, um, you know, Andrade Cien Almas as champion for a year and a half. He was a short period of time. McIntyre was champion. Uh, Shinsuke, Joe, Bauer, you know, etc. cetera. So it was nice that those guys would move up the card, become champion, lose the title, and then go to the WWE main roster. But that's not happening anymore. So we've had Gargano, Champa, Adam Cole at the top for a very, very extended, long period of time. And you've had Dream get a match here and there. A couple other people have had title matches. But it's been the same people on top, and it's been the same people in the mid card. I'm excited that Keith Lee's North American champion, but what's his first feud? DiJack. What's his second feud? DiJack and Damian Priest. Okay, like it's enough of that already. So you need to see some new combinations. Give me Keith Lee with Adam Cole. Give me Killer Cross taking the title off Keith Lee and him starting to defend against other mid carders, Johnny Gargano, whatever the case. You got to mix it up a little bit. Uh, NXT. For as great of an in-ring product as it is, and you guys do know that week to week and month to month, I do prefer it to AEW. As great as it is, it is starting to get a little bland. I think Killer Cross injecting himself into the mix is gonna be exciting. I am interested to see if they do any additional NXT call-ups for Raw and SmackDown, either now or during the draft, and what that means for their roster. Because there's a lot of people there that need to start getting TV time and you're starting to see it. Swerve, you know, I would love to see Swerve. Certainly Angel Garza was getting a lot more TV time, but now it seems like he's on Raw. So I am going to be interested to see kind of how they develop that roster, but I think Killer Cross, maybe people didn't realize that he's a big signing and he may not have been a big signing, but they're treating him like one. And I'm going to be excited to see how that plays out. And then last year, Nick Z at Boney 93 Who do you think NXT past or present had the best build to a debut? I feel like the lead up to Cross is major and it makes me very excited. Yeah, I mean, I'm not going to go too long on this. Um, the best build to a debut, it probably is Killer Cross. There's been a series of vignettes. He's been, they've been occurring in big segments. The tease, the cameo here at the end, that was pretty huge. Even for other wrestlers that they've done vignettes for, it's been just normal. Nothing special. This feels special. So, I'm actually going to say Killer Cross here. That's where I'm going to lean. I am excited to see his debut. I don't know if it's going to come next week or in the future, but WWE is really going to need to figure out, NXT in particular, how they're going to manage this brand and these shows during the taping time because the debut of Cross is not going to be as hot as it would have been without fans. Maybe you don't debut him in the empty arena. Maybe you figure out another venue to do it. Um, I'm going to be really curious to see how NXT develops storylines in that regard and with the women's picture as well as we move forward. But I do want to thank everyone for listening to this one-man show edition of Getting Over with the Silver King. Adam Silverstein, once again, follow us on Twitter at GettingOverCast. You can follow me at SilversteinAdam. Don't forget, subscribe to the podcast if you're a first-time listener. Go over to Apple Podcasts, drop the five-star rating, give us a review. I'm going to keep repeating it until every single person that listens to the show does it. So the sooner you do it, the less you're going to have to hear me say it, especially at the top of the show and at the end of the show. For those still curious about soundboards and technology and audio quality and all that, I am working on it. Hopefully you guys have seen that the quality has improved over the last few weeks. I've tried some new tricks, but I am still wanting a soundboard. In order for that to happen, that costs money. The response I got from asking if you guys wanted to donate a little bit, There's some of you. It wasn't great, though. So if you are interested in sound drops on the show, which I badly want to bring to you, it's one of the most fun things that I did on the former show. Let me know if you're willing to help out. Certainly, I'm going to fit the bill for most of it, but it would be great to have some additional uh, donations to this podcast. To make that happen, maybe I do a Patreon, maybe I do a Kickstarter. I'm not exactly sure. Uh, I certainly don't want to take your money. I want you guys to invest in the show. This is all about getting over. It's all about the five rating review. don't forget and I will leave you with that we'll be back on Tuesday with our WWE edition of getting over we're going to see what happens on this smackdown after Wrestlemania and see if there's any debuts um, they apparently didn't tape it along with the other grouping of content that they did through Mania and through Raw so this is a new taping from this week it'll be interesting to see what they do with Braun Strowman as champion uh, we'll see what happens there we'll see what happens with Raw and uh, hopefully there's not too much massive news that happens in the world of professional wrestling because honestly, Silver King would like to take a couple days off before he jumps back on this mic again. So, after hours of listening to me, uh, Chris Vanini and Jack Crosby joining me this week as well. I appreciate it, but I only have three words left for you. Bye for now.